Welcome back. It's good to have you here for episode two of the Lions 24-7 podcast, where I'm Andrew Callahan, alongside Lions 24-7 editor Sean Fitz, bringing you the best and best-looking Penn State football talk you can find anywhere. Now, before we get to the second episode here, we've got a big announcement. You can now find us on iTunes, so please do uh, review, subscribe, and keep on listening as we bring you more Penn State football talk throughout the offseason. Now, of course, this chunk of the offseason, the spring, is now over. The blue-white game concluding on Saturday with a 26 to nothing victory for the blue team. Uh, but it was a 6 nothing game at halftime, and I think for most of us, that was kind of the general feeling you might have from any other game watching that unfold is, is 6 nothing. Yeah, that's about right. That's a, it's a spring game. Not much to, to, to glean from it. Uh, that's probably a good thing. You don't want too many interesting storylines coming out there. But yeah, I think there was a couple worth talking about coming out of the game. For sure. And I think number one, you start with number two, Tommy Stevens. Had a great game, 17-24, 216 yards, three touchdowns. Of course, we're not going to get too analytical here for reasons that are obvious. Um, but you had to like the improvement he showed from a year ago and even from parts of last season. No doubt. Uh, the limited amount we did see him last year didn't throw a lot. I thought his deep ball looked good. I think that aspect of his game improved. It was mostly a runner from what we saw last year. But yeah, anything that he can do to improve his accuracy, to, to fit in that offense, we know a deep... The deep ball is such a big part of that offense. So Mm -hmm. anything he can do to improve there is great. Trace is obviously the guy, not suggesting there's a quarterback controversy or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I think you look at Penn State's roster, they have two legitimate Big Ten starters on their roster as as quarterbacks. Right. It's certainly not a case of that if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. They legitimately have two. Um, James Franklin's still looking for number three, but you've got to be content as a fan right now with where they stand. And the other storyline coming into it, undoubtedly, was Juwan Johnson. I mean, I think you couldn't get through a practice or a day or any sort of coverage without his name being mentioned the last six weeks or so. And I think, in my mind, he lived up enough to the hype, had that touchdown at the very end. But the most telling stat was the team-high 13 targets. There was trust there from Trace and Tommy's in both halves. Yeah, I think it depends where you sit the bar. Uh, it's not with Chris Godwin. No, He's not no, going to no. be there anytime soon, and, and you don't need him to be there anytime soon, but I thought he played well. thought he ran his roots well, and you mentioned those 13 targets. I think that goes a long way in showing what he can be to this football team. He's not going to be a guy that goes out and catches 9 or 10 balls every week, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you can uh, pick up chunks of yardage like we've seen Saeed Blacknell do in that spot, I think he can really uh, be a big-time player, and, and maybe... Maybe that might be a stretch this year, but into the future, I think he's got a really bright future at Penn State. And I think if there is one area where he could stand out, you know, on the field or situationally, it's that very play at the end. You know, throw it up in the red zone, let him go get it with that 6'4", 230-pound frame. That's exactly what he did in that final catch and play of the blue-white game. You know, he should be a real red zone threat. Again, Chris Godwin is going to be difficult to replace in a number of levels, and starting place for that is 11 touchdowns. So he's not going to get close to that, we can't imagine right now, but the fact that he did put himself out there as a threat, I think is a really good sign for you know what the next step of his development should be. Just looking at this team, the catch radius on some of these guys, Johnson and especially Mike Jasicki, mm-hmm. uh, you've got guys that you can throw the ball up to and they can go and make a play, and that, that was a big emphasis last year, and I think they can do that again this year. So Johnson should certainly see his fair share of playing time. Uh, Another guy who went a little bit more under the radar with the exception of a couple plays from the blue-white game who should not see a lot of snaps come the regular season, Jarvis Miller. You know, a lot of speed naturally coming down from safety. Cole Farmer, who's even faster, is going to be ahead of him at that Sam position. But I think when you look at whether it's Miller, Farmer, or Bowen, the added speed that you have there this season compared to week one a year ago against Kent State when you're rolling with Brandon Bell, Jason Kaminda, Naeem White is really going to be 
you know, and has been an undersold difference between this defense and what was there a year ago. No doubt. And I think that spot's going to be important moving forward. And we're going to see a lot of that when, as, as long as James Franklin is here, moving big safeties down and playing that spot, playing in a little bit more space. They've got a little bit more coverage uh, experience. And, and I think it can really help them because the, the, the field linebacker, which they, they call the Sam, is, is such a versatile position. You can rush the passer off the edge. You can play a traditional linebacker role. You can be a third safety. You can be a nickelback. It just provides you with so many options. And in the Big Ten and, and all across college football, it's it, it's going to be something that you see a lot more of. You don't see a ton of base anymore. You don't see that 4-3, uh, line no. them up and run it down their throat type thing. There's there's athletes all over college football right now, and, and that's just one way to try and combat them. Right, and I think if I may nerd out here for a moment, the, the evolution of the Sam position is kind of interesting because it used to be that same, you're talking about base, three big linebackers in there every single down or at least up until third. Well, the Sam position right now is that hybrid safety linebacker position. So if you're going the, the strongest, most reliable backer against the run to a guy now who's expected to serve all the roles that you just mentioned, Sean, and that's simply because of the fact that he's often serving as perhaps a nickelback and given downs. The assignment doesn't change, though, when you're teaching it in coverage, as you call it, either the Sam perhaps a star if you're running in, in sub-packages, but I think it's really the genius of the position. Like The assignments don't change. It's just the body that you have in there. So instead of taking that linebacker who knows all the defense and the assignments and then taking him out for a corner, have a guy who has the skills of both, who might be a little bit lighter against the run, but you can rely on to perform the duties and coverage on the blitz, you know, in zone, what have you. And I think having a guy like Cole Farmer, now up to almost 30, you know, 239 running in the 4-4-4-5 range is so valuable, and that's why he's there. Yeah, and I think to get back to Jarvis Miller, who's the guy we started talking about, uh, I think he's got a future here. Uh, you weren't sure what you had with him at safety. He's a big guy. He's, he's got great length. He's, he's nearly 6'2", played corner in high school, played a little bit of safety in Rover in high school. Uh, but now you put him at linebacker. He can cover some ground. He, he He's working on playing a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. He said uh, after the game, Koa Farmer's actually helping him through a lot of those things that Farmer struggled with a year ago. Mm-hmm. So you've got an opportunity there. Uh, you know, With Miller, I don't know that we would have seen him as a safety. And you know, now that you put him at linebacker, he's in the two deep, and he's going to provide some of that speed that I know you love on the outside for Penn State. Yeah, and again, that that should naturally lend itself to forcing more turnovers, which we've heard time and again, especially from the DBs, that they want to really get after this season. They feel like they could have turned some games uh, even further in their favor, perhaps a couple of losses. You know, they just got in their hands on a couple more balls or, or popped some more fumbles. So, lots to look forward to from Cole Farmer, Manny Bowen, and, and Jarvis Miller should either of the former two um, go down. Of course, Brandon Bell was at that Sam starting spot a year ago, flipped over to the will as the season went on. He's now gone, but he, along with all the other seniors, are back for Blue White Weekend, honored as they should have been. And we were actually able to catch up with Bell for a couple minutes about his process leading up to the NFL draft this weekend. And I know I've asked you multiple times through this, what's something you learned that obviously you wouldn't know unless you went through the process. You know, recently it's been visits with teams. What's something about visits that maybe you didn't expect or something that, you know, stuck out looking back? Uh, I mean, just kind of getting in the, the uh, facilities, NFL teams. You're obviously not there for but a few hours, but just seeing the, how the operations go about and Kind of meet, sometimes the guys are in there, meet guys, ask some questions if you can, but uh, just take it for what it is, I guess, not much. Who's the coolest guy you got to meet? Uh, coolest guy I got to meet? I met uh, Doyle Green Beckham at the Eagles, and we have a mutual friend I asked him about. We talked for a hot second while he was getting in his car. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Is that friend from home? or how, what's Yeah, that's a friend I didn't go to high school with, but high school next door, and she's actually a singer now. 
in Tennessee. He's kind of a country singer. Wow. And um, and he was from in Tennessee, and they knew each other. Well, what's her name? Uh, Sarah Ross. Sarah, oh, okay. Yeah, that's her music name. Yeah, Sarah Ross music. I guess it's a little shout out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Country singer. Yeah. Well, uh, what was the best part about your Eagles visit besides obviously mm-hmm. hooking up with him? Uh, I mean, the workout was good. I definitely feel like I, you know, showcased what I had in the short little workout, and uh, I think it went well. We'll see. Any expectations for what's to come over the weekend? Uh, or are you just gonna enjoy it? Uh, really just trying to enjoy it. I don't know. I mean, I feel like my, at least my situation is kind of up in the air. You know, all hearsay doesn't mean anything until someone actually calls you. And then you see your name on the ticket. Can you imagine what that feeling might be like if that I guess that happens? I'd definitely be elated. I mean, we'll see when it comes how my emotions will actually be. I'm usually a pretty calm guy. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe that changed? Yeah, might. <laughs> So lots of good stuff there from Brandon Bell, per usual, and we thank him for taking some time over the Blue-White weekend. And, of course, he's not the only guy to keep an eye on, though, this weekend. Two guys you have to start with, Chris Godwin and Garrett Sickles. No doubt. Godwin's the guy that everybody's looking at. Probably day two of the draft, round two, round three, depending on where you look, between the seventh and tenth receiver, uh, to going to go off the board. Uh, but you think that somebody might reach for him. I do. And, you know, there's always a discrepancy this time of year between draft Twitter and you know what the NFL prefers and what actually unfolds on draft weekend. But I think what we've come to learn, you know, fr- from reading a variety of different sources about Godwin's game, is it's so well-rounded. And then when you put on top of that a combine performance that had a lot of people turning their heads, there are really few things to pick at his game and go, I don't like this. Great kid, good straight line, great straight line speed as it turns out can catch the ball from a variety of routes, really no weakness to his game. So if you're looking for a guy in that range of the second round, just like the first, you don't want to miss. You know, Godwin's a guy who should almost be able to rely on, not perhaps from the start, but sooner rather than later as a good number two. A lot of polish, and he does a lot of things that don't show up. Uh, we talked about the blocking mm-hmm. several times, because oh, you got to love him blocking down the field. I mean, he's a guy that puts in maximum effort. And I, I think from a development standpoint, probably did all he was going to do in college. I mean, he was, he was yeah. really good this year. He would have been really good again next year, but I don't think the difference was enough for him to, to stick around one more year to find out. Uh, I think he came in very refined uh, for coming from Delaware, from playing the small school ball, from, from being a guy who uh you know would maybe go to camps and combines wouldn't step out uh he went to under armor he was kind of sitting in the back uh sat in the background there but you could see the skills flash and he came in as a polished root runner worked his way onto the field early and he had himself a great career so you know i think chris godwin is going to put himself up there as one of the best receivers in, in program history right garrett sickles a couple more questions about him uh in terms of his transition to the pro level you know you can make a singular similar argument in my mind about you know, how much would if he had gained from another year in college? But either way, right now, he's a couple of days away from being drafted, looking instead more at day three for him, perhaps sixth, seventh round. And I think it's really just, you know, the, the size and the measurables element, you know, kind of that tweener as an edge guy, but depending on your system, might not fit or might be limited uh, to, to a more specific role. Probably a pretty polarizing guy in draft rooms, I would have to say. Um, he, you don't know if he's big enough. Uh, you know, he's been more of a of a splash guy off the end. He's he's had trouble defending the run at times, but I thought he played very well last year. Um, so he's got some tape to back it up. 
testing numbers maybe weren't the best thing in the world, but saw him this weekend. He's he's bigger. He's added some mass, and I think he can you know put in that effort to make a roster and to to I think somebody will take a chance on him based on his production at Penn State. For sure, great motor effort. You know, without getting too far in those cliches that make point to hey, he's a white guy, um, but you know he he's a guy who had production at the college level and again some of the toughest competition. Again, you look at that Ohio State game playing just one half and all the destruction he had. I mean, that's tape that should definitely get you noticed um, without even looking at what he did for the rest of the season. And he's an underrated athlete. I think he probably tested better than some guys that you look at. Deion Barnes comes to mind. Uh, Garrett can can put in some work on special teams, and I think that can help him make a roster spot. So when you look beyond Godwin and Sickles, almost surefire picks coming up this weekend. You know, we we heard from Brandon Bell. Um, he's right now, and you look into different areas and, and outlets, seventh round, maybe undrafted, to guys who could also fit that mold, Emmett Schwann, who's been talked about along with Sickles, about you know playing in a two-point stance versus a three, uh, or Malik Golden, who I know you really like because of what he did at Pro Day. Yeah, Malik, uh, I think, made himself a, a little bit of money at Pro Day. Uh, he's a guy that tested extremely well, had just the one good season, but I thought he, he, he was Penn State's best defensive player for a couple stretches last year. So I think he's got the opportunity as a guy that can make an impact on special teams he can he can hang with some of those athletes in the secondary I think again another underrated athlete when you take a look at uh, his testing numbers versus how people perceived him over the last couple of years so I think Malik Golden's got a shot um, that definitely not saying he's going to stick by any means but uh, Trevor Williams was was a similar athlete last year and and really stuck with the Chargers and has done a good job for them so he's, he's got an opportunity to do so and I think coming out potentially as an undrafted free agent will be an advantage for him as we've talked about so many times, mm. pick your landing spot, look at the depth charts, almost like recruiting again, where you're going to fit in uh, the best. So I think he's going to have an opportunity to, uh, to to sink in somewhere that he can fit. All right, and I think to wrap up this draft conversation, you look at those two guys and Brandon Bell and Malik Golden, that they're also going to sit down really well and be able to talk about the game in an in-depth level. So it's not only just the measurables and you look at, you know, at that stage of the draft or prospects being evaluated. You know, at, at a certain point, if you don't meet certain criteria is just not going to cut it. So they're there, but then what else can you do besides, you know, run in the four fives in Golden's case or, you know, bench X amount, you know, for, for Bell as a linebacker. It's a matter of, you know, on the field, what are your instincts like? How, you know, what's your background? You know, do you have your head on straight? And I think those guys check off a lot of boxes to those degree, which will help them, you know, in camp, perhaps jump onto a practice squad or make an impact sooner than people think uh, on special teams. Now, moving from guys who are already on their way out to guys who were coming in this weekend, huge recruiting weekend. And we had a great gallery that you put together from all the guys that were in town, uh, including Micah Parsons, who we know now is no longer going to be in this class as announced 1030 Sunday night, 1030 Sunday night while I was in bed. Appreciate you covering that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, two in two out for Penn state, uh, Chris Bleich, Micah Parsons now off the commit list, Nana Asidu and, uh, Antoine Reed uh, committed on Saturday before the blue-white game, so adding a little bit of, uh, of girth to that offensive line. Reed's about 330 pounds. Uh, Nana has some work to do uh, to get to the 300-pound mark, but he's just a great athlete at tackle. So uh, I think uh, you know you, you lose Blaish, which is a guy that came into the class early, probably as a right tackle. You pick up a left tackle in Nana. You pick up a, a right tackle, possibly guard and, and Reed. And it's guys that they're high on from the start. I mean, they, they offered these guys a while ago for a reason. Parsons, that's going to sting, no doubt about it. Uh, phenomenal physical talent, uh, a guy who has all the potential in the world, and uh, of course an in-state guy as well. So you, you don't want to lose a guy like that, but uh, it, it, if you're looking at the timeline, probably not a bad time to do it. You've got an opportunity for him to come back around. Obviously, that's not how it always works out, but uh, you've got an opportunity to get him back on campus, show him a little bit more uh, 
you know, from a winning aspect and, you know, the schools that he's going uh, to check out, Alabama, Florida State, Ohio State, maybe some Clemson, Georgia, you know, all very, very good uh, to elite programs. And, and I think they, Penn State, if they want to get him back, uh, got to show him what he committed for in the first place. Kid likes Penn State. I think that that's yeah. kind of been lost in all of the, the Twitter and, and, and the criticism and everything like that. Kid genuinely likes Penn State. And I think that's something that you have to resell to him. Uh, will he come back around? Hard to say. I think Ohio State's going to be tough to be. He's very high on them. Larry Johnson's done a great job recruiting him. But uh, yeah, you're going to have to fill that role. Uh, defensive end, uh, probably a spot that can absorb it. They've got uh, a lot of sure. young talent there. They've got some guys that just signed that can make an impact. And, and, and we'll see how that shakes out in the future. But uh, you want to line, you want to land elite prospects. Michael Parsons is an elite in-state prospect. So mm-hmm. going to make another run over the next uh, six or eight months. And I think if you're looking, you know, the sunnier side of things, if you're Penn State, obviously the timing of this, you know, could be worse. You know, getting closer to signing day, perhaps later in the summer, I think if you've been following his situation, even on a surface level, there's somewhat of an idea that this was going to come at some point. He's going to open up his recruitment, had been taking visits. Penn State coaches are not a big fan of that occurring, you know, once you give your pledge and you commit. So, you know, for him to get back out there officially, it's really not a huge change except in name only. Now, do they bring him back? Obviously a different question. But you're also looking at now that the way the situation has slowly been evolving, they've had time to adapt. You know, mentioning uh, losing Chris Bleich, you know, bringing Big Nana back on so you don't lose anything in numbers, add in Reed there too. So I'm sure they've been paying attention to certain other defensive ends in the meantime uh, to make up for now has been the loss of Micah Parsons. But again, you know, could come back around though at this stage, you, you can't consider them the, the clubhouse leader. Yeah, and you've got options. I think Penn State, when you look at the class, great class so far, I think number three in the country, um, taking a step back from number two when they had Parsons, but still a great group of kids, a great group of prospects, and, and they, they, they've got some work to do in spots you look at uh, adding a couple more offensive linemen the defensive line uh you know could, you could say there's a commitment nick tarburton who's who's a linebacker right now probably end up with his hand in the dirt at some point mm-hmm. and then safety you've got isaiah humphreys but you've also got two in-state studs and in quantel reigns and sheen young who, who were in this weekend and had great visits so i think there's opportunity there to close out strong um you know you've, you've talked about this lull that penn state has seemed to have in the last couple of years well then, now they have momentum they've got a lot of quality guys on the uh, on the board and I think they're going to they're going to be fine and another guy on the offensive line that was intriguing coming in this weekend that you noted TJ Bradley boy that kid's huge I saw him in the <laughs> tunnel uh he's every bit of six seven and a half six eight two ninety still still a lot of room to fall, uh, to fill out he's raw uh, he mm-hmm. hasn't played a ton of football he's been a guy that's up there at Lackawanna he's got three years to play three uh can come in as a January kid and I think the biggest thing to take away from Penn State offering which they did on Tuesday morning is that they're not offering junior college kids to fill gaps anymore. Uh, Paris Palmer was a guy they went to because they needed an offensive tackle in the worst way. Uh, Brennan Thrift and Tyrell Chavis, guys that that are defensive tackles that, you know, uh, Chavis, you could argue, was a guy that could could really help them out. Thrift uh, is already off the team. Um, but you look at a guy like TJ Bradley, they love his potential. They think he can come in and compete and, and maybe not be the starter right away, but that you've got a guy that's got NFL size. He's got potential, uh, you know, crazy potential. So, um, if they can get him on board, it's because they love him. It's not because they need to, to fill a gap to, uh, you know, just to find a crack and, and to get in there. And, uh, on top of that, I think that, uh, Bradley is a kid that, that they could probably with his athletic profile, start two, three years. 
Sure. And, and I think it also speaks to, you mentioned, you know, this is not a need. You look at the guys who are projected to start a tackle this year, Ryan Bates and Chaz Wright should be back again for 2018. And then some developmental guys who are, you know, in this 2017 class at that point, will have a year under their belt, you know, physically mastery of the playbook. So, you know, he should be in the mix. And I think it just is just, you know, almost not an embarrassment of riches, but whatever step down from that you want to take in terms of just pure talent at tackle, that's what you're dealing with now. Well, considering what Penn State's seen on the roster the last couple of years, right. it is an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> but you get back to my prior point, uh, Alabama and Ohio State, they have junior college guys that are coming in to compete for starting spots. They're not going to fill out a depth chart. I think uh, Ohio State's got Malcolm Pridgen, who came in and, and is competing with Matthew Burrell, uh, former Penn State target, uh, for a guard position. Uh, you know, that's that's a good thing to have. I mean, if you can get these guys who are a little bit more developed, um, you know, hopefully they're caught up in the academic aspect as well. You, you've got a shot to have something, and, and it's really going to keep uh, those young guys developing, uh, maybe not throwing them out too soon. It's, it's, sure. it's I think it's a good thing all around. And nothing speaks, in my mind, better to the depth that you've seen grow and mature here than the number of names you saw missing from Saturday at the Blue-White game and to still roll out some talent or guys you think can contribute. Now, some of them, they're not going to be back. John Reed, again, expected to miss the entirety of the regular season. But guys like Brendan Mann, Miles Sanders, uh, Michael Mennett, Jay Cooper, Nick Bowers, perhaps Andrew Nelson, too, should be back in summer. And now it's just a matter of, you know, when they have all this time coming up to recover, what are the expectations going to be? And I just I just threw out six there, but for me, I think a guy like Brendan Mann, you know, expected to plug in right back at right guard, and I think that should be a fair expectation when when they come back in summer camp. Yeah, I mean, you've got guys that have played a lot of football; they're going to come back and, and and make an impact. And you've also got young guys like Mennett Sanders, who you know the sky's the limit for these guys. Very talented football players, so. Um, you, you've got an opportunity for them to, to fill in some of those gaps. I know we just talked about Penn State doesn't need guys to fill in gaps, but <laughs> you can fill in some of those gaps and you can get starters out of them, which is you know ideally the situation that you want to get to. Uh, beyond those guys, uh, guys that didn't play a lot, Barkley, obviously, just sick. Yeah. Uh, those guys, Marcus Allen as well. Um, you, you've got a lot of talent on this roster, and you, know, you saw what they were able to do last year. I think they can really build on that. And in some of that depth there, you mentioned Mike Kosicki sitting out. John Holland, outstanding blue-white game. And I got to write about that a lot in the tail of the tape. But Nick Bowers coming in to fill in behind there, too. The depth at tight end is just going to be so drastically different than you've seen from, again, the last three years of Penn State football almost mirroring the you know nearby offensive line. It's just it's such a stark difference. Yeah, you look at the 2015-2016 classes, and, and I think they've really hit very well. Um, maybe not right away. Guys like Holland, uh, redshirted, played a little bit on special teams last year, had a great spring. I had... Uh, you know, the guys I've talked to in the program were, were raving about him, maybe not so much as a guy that was, um, you know, going to come out and take Mike Jasicki's job. But yeah. if you can get a second, third tight end and, and, and be quality players, you take Jasicki's snaps from 80 down to 65 and give him a little bit of a rest and get a little bit more out of him in the long run. So uh, you've got an opportunity to continue to see this roster being built. And uh, I've been harping on it for, for weeks and did it in the podcast last week. The roster building and the balance has, has just been phenomenal for Penn State. So if you had to pick one guy we did not see Saturday but should be back in time for summer camp to really kind of keep an eye on and, and might excite you, I, I already you know gave you a flash of my cards picking Brendan Mann and what he'll be able to do. Um, but, but who would be that guy for you? Well, I think Mennett. Uh, okay. He's a guy that was getting first team reps, played at guard. I think he's going to stick at guard. They've talked about him playing center as well, but he's just another phenomenally talented guy that you can throw in there and the offensive line, which which has six or seven starters, I would think. Where as yes. you, a couple even of years, more. yeah, even more. And a couple of years ago, you were 
wondering if they had four or five. So uh, it, I think he's going to be a, a very good player for Penn State. Uh, still has st- some stuff to add in terms of uh, mass and and getting some experience under his belt. But you know, he's he's a, he was a five star prospect for a reason. It's because he's a heck of a football player. Right. And same thing could be said of, of Miles Sanders should figure into that kick and punt. Uh, return competition, which we really didn't even get into today. We saw Brandon Polk back there, Nick Scott as well, uh, returning kicks during the blue-white game. Those jobs are as up for grabs as any that we've seen. But uh, so far, good good spring ball overall, I have to say. I know Franklin shared that sentiment immediately after the blue-white game. You know, some injuries, stuff you simply can't avoid, but overall been a very successful spring in terms of sorting out uh, who's going to play where and at what spot on the depth chart and getting the guys who needed the rest of the, the rest that they required. Absolutely. There's spots on this on this roster that, uh, you know, frankly, you needed to get some guys uh, some reps. Safety, huge one, no doubt. We didn't see Marcus mm-hmm. Allen in the spring game, and that, I think that's a great thing. I uh, didn't need uh, him to get hurt or anything like that. So you saw guys like Troy Apke and Nick Scott and Aaron Monroe who had a pick, yeah. uh, you know, get some, get some experience experience under the belt and that, that's really going to help them out in the long run thankfully at least for us there are no spots open here on this podcast we will be back uh for as many episodes as we do have again as we said at the outset you can find the new lines 24 7 podcast on itunes so please subscribe review and do whatever else you can there and we will see you next time so for sean fitz i'm andrew callahan thanks for listening and we'll be back soon here in the lines 24 we out of here baby we out of here baby